We are jumping right into it this week because I've been hyping Ethan up for the last four days about something that I'm excited to talk about. So first off, what's up, Ethan? How you doing, man? Not bad, man. Happy post Thanksgiving. This is the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, Which, you know what? God, how rude of me. I didn't even ask how your Thanksgiving was. Did you have a good time? <laughs> how rude. It was great right up until this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, man. Got to have dinner with some friends. Me too. It was really special. I actually killed the turkey this year. No way. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting one for sure. I've always wanted to do that. I've never hunted. Um, I don't have anything against it. I just, I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of a softy. Like, I don't know if I could go to sleep and I wouldn't dream about it and stuff like that. However, mm-hmm. I would feel perfectly fine about shooting a wild turkey and then eating it for, for Thanksgiving. And I think I would really, because I, I get all, I go to the farmer's market every weekend. And, you know, that kind of stuff was really important to me. Um, and like the wild animals, the stuff that they eat and compared to the stuff that like farm raised animals eat, it's, it's so much different. So yeah. is that what you did? Did you go out and actually like Close. shoot a turkey? I actually more of a middle ground. So there's a ranch near here called Rome Ranch. And interestingly, it was founded by the same couple who started, I think their brand was called like Epoch Nutrition. It was uh, like a, a jerky brand and they make all these really interesting types of jerky. Well, they sold that company for like $100 million, and they ended up rolling a lot of the cash that they pulled out into this new regenerative farm here in Texas. So they have about 1,200 acres, and they run bison on it, free range. Um, they have cows. They have and then like a whole bunch of different like chickens and ducks and turkeys and stuff. And every single year, it's basically their goal. They kind of seem to have two goals. One is to use regenerative farming to like rehabilitate the land. Cool. Um, yeah, which is really neat. And then the second is to sort of be like a teaching farm so that they can spread that practice further. And so every year they do a lot of different classes and sessions and stuff. But one of the things that they do is a turkey harvest for Thanksgiving. So they have a whole bunch of these turkeys that they raise on the land. Then you buy tickets and they'll ride up the turkeys, they bring them in in a trailer, and then they walk you, they spend the entire day walking you through the entire process of going from live turkey to something that's ready to go in the oven. So yeah, it was a really interesting experience. And they did a really good job of it. Because that's a it was a tough it's like, I so I had never hunted either. This is part of a bigger project for me, like getting closer to my food. So Mm -hmm. Wanted to do that for that reason. When I saw the class, I was really like, I was nervous. I, I thought about booking it and I was like, oh man, I don't know if I could do that. And, I'd be nervous. Yeah. Uh, and then I did this. It wasn't really clear from the description whether the turkey would be killed for you by the time you got there or you were going to be killing it. And so, yeah, I, I had like a lot of apprehension around it. And the thing that ultimately pushed me over the, um, over the edge or whatever is like, the day that I had found that I had eaten rotisserie chicken for lunch. And I was like, <laughs> you're already doing this. You're already yeah. killing these birds. You're just having somebody else do it. Right. And that didn't sit right with me. So I signed up. They did a wonderful job of like really making people kind of respect the situation, the sacrifice that the birds make. They did an excellent job. There's a whole bunch of volunteers that came out and kind of helped with every step of the equation. And I got to tell you, man, 
I think they could tell that I was nervous because I was like a little chatty when it was about time to go. Cause I actually had to go like grab the bird while I was alive, wow. pick it up. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I just hope I can actually catch one of these things because I'm nervous. They were very good. Like the whole team of volunteers, I think just kind of understood the situation. And the thing I'll say about it just for people listening is it was way more of an event than I thought it was going to be. So like, I thought it'd be like five or 10 people who, you know, have this crazy idea of getting closer to their food. There was probably 30 families there, 20 to 30 families. And I mean, they brought everybody, grandparents, kids, everybody was there. So it was really interesting to see just people who all have that same impulse to just like get closer to their food. It's really, really, really interesting. That's really cool, man. I'm glad that you started with that story. I I find that to be very common with people that I surround myself with where we're all, it's, it's more and more common that people feel disconnected from the things they eat because it's, it's really like a spiritual experience and it's an emotional experience. And even I was watching hot ones last night because my wife and I enjoy that show. It's a ridiculous show where they interview people while eating really spicy hot wings and Israel Adesanya was on it and he's from Kenya and he talked about, or excuse me, no, he's from Nigeria. And he talked about moving from Nigeria to New Zealand. And one of the first things he noticed is that people hardly ever touch their food because in Nigeria, they eat much more with their hands. And in New Zealand, they eat all with silverware. I was like, oh my God, like what a common thing that us Westerners don't even take the time to appreciate. Like the majority of the world for the majority of the time of civilization, people had to like, you know, build a relationship with their food, with their hands, you know? And it's something I think about pretty often. So I I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but I think that's really cool, man. I think that's such a cool experience. You'll remember that for forever. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that is super interesting about touching your food. I hadn't considered that until you pointed out, but you're right. Most of the world does, right? Like even in India, that's huge. So yeah, it's definitely a thing. It's a project and I'm hearing more and more people feel the same way about just getting a little bit closer. So that's cool. Um, What'd you guys do? You said you had friends over? Yeah, I had all my neighbors over. It was great. We, We loved every second of it. My kids didn't scream at all. It was really amazing. It was like a, a happy, happy Thanksgiving, just full of love and gratitude. So I enjoyed it. That's cool. And I, before we, I know you got something that you're chomping at the bit to share. So I won't, I won't bury the lead any further, okay. but just for people who are only listening to the audio, oh, that yeah. dinner with Tim must've been pretty special because uh, all the stuff in his background is pulled off the <laughs> walls. Gone, bro. The move is happening. So having the neighbors the over is happening. Yeah. I, I got to say unpacking this room in particular was the first time where I really started to feel it because, because I did COVID in Nashville. And I know that that sounds like really random, but right here in this spot, I, I did so much fucking work during COVID, just like a lot of people, you know, I remember hearing somebody say, remember all of the times where you said to yourself, like, if only I could block out the world and work on this project for like a month or something. I remember seeing that. And I remember thinking like, nobody's going to write the book that they always talk about writing. If only they could lock themselves in a log cabin Mm. or something like that. Right. (laughs) And so I very, very intentionally made like the conscious decision to like, okay, I'm in here and this is my space station and I'm going to do it. And, uh, and I did it, man. Like I really did. The last two years have, have catapulted me in, in a way. 
and uh and so yeah like as i'm you know my board's not on there anymore and mm -hmm. and all like my inspirational posters right in front of me that you can't see that i've just sat back here and, and stared at for a while while trying to get my mind right it's all coming down man so it's 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 different yeah it's a white room now new opportunities unfolding. that's right man new which brings right. us to this thing you've been dying yeah. to share what do you got for me man <laughs> okay in the last episode, we talked about how we were thinking about monetizing our podcast. And I felt really optimistic about the potential Tim Ferriss model, where we're calling it, where Tim Ferriss kind of has all of his media platforms and he combines it into one ad network. So if you buy an ad, you get an advertisement on the podcast, which I don't know how many listeners he gets a month, probably three or four million, something like that, right? Um, you get an ad on the blog. I don't imagine his blog gets a whole lot of traffic, but I imagine it's, it's a top 1% website in the world, you know? And then you get an ad on his email and he's got 2 million email subscribers. So the simplicity of having all three of his media platforms combined into one ad network, I really liked that idea. And I felt like you and I were kind of jiving on that idea. Um, and so I wrote a blog post about it and I did the numbers and you know what, I'll just share my screen and I'll, I'll show the blog post because it's easier to show the numbers than it is to explain them. And where are we at? All right. <clears throat> so talked about the analytics. I talked about the Tim Ferriss model. I talked about the numbers and, and basically here's the numbers. If you and I charge $25 CPM, which CPM means cost per some like Greek word or something. Mil. Uh, what is it? Mill, M-I-L-L-E, which means okay. thousand. Oh, I never do that. So cost per thousand is 25 bucks. So if we charge 25 bucks for every 1,000 downloads with 30,000 downloads approximately, that means we could charge $750 an episode for an ad. However, since we're doubling up and we're doing two episodes a month now, it's safe to assume, you know, you know what happens when you assume, but Theoretically, we would get more downloads every month. However, let's just assume that we stick to $30,000 a month. Now that we have twice the amount of exposure, we can double our revenue. So all in all, we can get 1500 bucks a week for two episodes, each with an ad on it. And since there's 52.14 weeks in a year, gross revenue would be $78,210, which means... I just totally estimated this. Let's say I got a, oh shit, there's a typo there. Let's say it cost me 18 grand a year for the production and whatever the hosting, who knows, whatever else stuff. 60,000 bucks gross revenue divided by two, that's 30 grand a year for each of us. So there we go. That's a model. And I haven't pitched any advertisers. I don't necessarily plan to. I think we're pretty transparent about what we're doing here. We're hoping that we just continue to make the best show possible and then opportunity will find us. As I'm moving and as I'm taking down my studio, I'm thinking, man, when I move to Denver, I really want to try to invest in a little bit of a studio, um, get the proper lighting. I, I know that my mic still isn't set up. When I listen back to the podcast, my mic sounds kind of underwater. My lights are like $20 lights that I got from Walmart and, you know, they always make my face look too bright. And so we talked about him before. We talked about this guy. Um, his name is Kevin Shen and he has a 
badass course, such a badass course called dreamstudiocourse.com. Oh man, and even look right here, he's got all the big wigs, right? And so it took me forever to find him. I was trolling on Twitter because it was like, I know I followed this guy, I can't remember his name. And so I'm just scrolling Twitter endlessly. Like, <laughs> who is this guy? And I finally found him. And so I sent him a DM. And he had this autoresponder that came to me and said, hello, thanks for reaching out. I get a lot of messages and do my best to reply. Here's some answers to common questions. One, yes, we do consulting. Email us at team at dreamstudiocourse.com. Two, tiny space, question mark. You can absolutely still have a studio you're proud of. We'll show you how. Three, budget. Most folks spend three to 6K buying studio equipment and decor. It depends on your needs. We need help to pick the right gear for your needs and budget. Four, if you don't have at least 3K, here's some free resources. If you have any questions about the course or consulting, please email Tim at dreamstudiocourse.com and we'll take care of you. And then in the autoresponder, somehow there's these three links that are connected to the message. And I've never seen these before. And so I start clicking around. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And there's one link that says, yes, we do consulting, book a call. So I click on it. And, like, and this is how I found his course. I was like, oh man, like what a smart idea. He automated his DMs to increase his sales. That's so, so smart. So smart. And so he's got the link right here to his consulting. He's got the link right here to his course. And then here's the kicker, Ethan. This is where I'm really going to get you. There's this third link at the bottom. It said powered by please DM.me. So I click on plzdm.me. And, and this is what I see. There's a really simple sales page. It's, it's hardly even a website. It's basically like a paragraph on, I don't know, it looks like Webflow. It says you're missing out on opportunities in your DMs. And it's just a really short sales pitch about why you should download pleasedm.me. So there's this link that says, get started. So I create an account and I look at pricing. Look at this shit. Pleasedm.me is now entirely free and open source project thanks to the following sponsors. And so he has a sponsor here, which is I think just this guy's friend who has a Twitter course. And if you're watching, if you're watching the video, you can see if you just listen to the episode that the sponsor on this page, it isn't even linked right. Like the image is broken. And so I'm thinking to myself, whoever made this isn't paying any attention to it at all. Somebody made this and is just letting this thing ride on autopilot. So, you know, I click around a little bit. I'm going like, what is this? What is this? And then I find this guy, Drew, Drew Bredvik. So I message Drew and I say, Drew, you want to sell me this company? <laughs> and what? Drew, yes. And Drew says, I think we can work something out. So I'm not going to talk about how much on air. Um, totally doable. Let's just say that. Totally, totally doable. And I think that you and I should buy this company and we should use the podcast as a way to sell it. And I think we should structure it as such where you continuously get a free version and we use the free version to collect emails. And with the free version, you have this link at the bottom of your messages 
that said powered by please DM me. And if you, and when, I mean, there's a couple of ways we could do it. We could make it so that you can't have these links at all. You know, you can just have like some URLs in your description that aren't really clickable, but you ha can't have these links at all. And you, you can only have the powered by please DM me. And you can pay, I mean, let's make it super affordable. Let's just say 20 bucks for a lifetime membership so that you can put these links in here. And so now your DMs turn into basically a sales mechanism, like an automation sales tool, which I know is effective because I just got sold on it. You know, as soon as I saw this, I thought to myself, oh my God, how many DMs do I get every single day that mm -hmm. I never respond to, which are, yeah, which are endless opportunities. Well, that's one of the things that I'm seeing here. The first thing that stood out to me though, was the pricing. So if you go back to the pricing page, they say this is now free, yeah. but the old price was like 39, was it $39 for yeah, 39 a lifetime deal? I don't know anything about Drew. So I think you're right. Maybe this was just a side thing, it but was. I'm shocked I've been to talking see to him all day. I'm shocked to see that as pricing because the value of this alone for, for any founder who's active on Twitter is many, many, many times that per month. And so I'm kind of surprised. My first thought is this, like, this is a valuable piece of software <laughs> on its own. It's yeah. kind of insane to me to even price it with lifetime deals. <laughs> and I agree, which is why I think we yes. should buy this company. <laughs> By the way, this is what's called hemorrhaging leverage. Talking about that on the air, uh, but like midway through a negotiation. But hats off to Drew for building something that looks pretty, uh, pretty cool, pretty useful. Yeah. I think what you've laid out is a fascinating idea. Since you're not sharing numbers here, I feel like it's I'm in a little bit in the dark in terms of commenting on whether or not it would be a way for us to go. But it sounds like, okay, so the pod, then what would the idea be? On the pod, you mention um, this software company multiple times? Well, we could and mention it organically as we talk about it, sure. But yeah. I mean, we would basically have an ad at the front of every show that sells our own software. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. That's so here's, here's the way I was thinking about it, right? My newsletter for Copyblogger and for Tim Stodds um, for the vast majority of the time, and even still, I sent my newsletter out today. I got three leads from Tim Stodds. So I've always had this idea of if you don't have ads, be your own sponsor. Mm -hmm. If you're going to build a newsletter, yes, put a sponsorship up there, but that sponsorship should be you. And I think there's something about people when they absorb free content that I think for the most part, people are totally willing to deal with ads to get free stuff. Like it's a fair deal. You know, it really is a fair deal. But the problem with it is the thing that I've talked about many, many times on the show where the economics are just such shit that you, you, you can't really make money by doing that. Like you have to get so big that it just takes off. And then like, you know, those people make other YouTube videos about why you should be a YouTuber when in the reality, like 98, 99.8% of the people never make it. And yep. so the idea was like, sponsor yourself, be yep. your own sponsor. And that's how we did. That's how we got to a million bucks a year on digital commerce within nine months, you know, by sponsoring ourselves on the copy blogger newsletter. And it's how I just started my personal consulting firm six months ago and I'm already at like 40 something grand a year or 40 grand a month. 
And so that was always my philosophy. And as soon as I saw this, I thought to myself, okay, this solves a lot of our problems. One, we don't have time to create a membership site. We definitely don't have time to create like another service business. And even if we did, that doesn't make sense for me to do. We could have ads and the Tim Ferriss model does work. However, then we need to sell the ads. Mm-hmm. Then we need to be like, okay, what's the link? What's the tracking link? Play that game that you know but better than anybody. So, okay. So like, how do we sponsor ourselves? And if we do, what can we put on there that is high leverage, low hours? I love it, dude. I think this is so smart. There's a couple of things I want to comment on here um, to make this even more universal for people listening. So I know people love the behind the scenes stuff and it's cool for us to talk through like how we're monetizing. And you've already spoken to some of the big points for other people who are on the same journey, which is like, here are things you should potentially think through um, if you're debating getting ads, because it's a complicated thing. Not only is there, are there the logistics of what we're talking about here, but you and I have been going back and forth um, off mic about some of the potential downsides of having advertisers. And like, this is not set in stone, but we we're both like concerned just making sure we do the best thing for the audience. Right. So we've said, yeah, ads would be a great idea. And then we say, ah, but you know, like in some ways, and I think I mentioned this on air last week, it's like in some way ads are like ruining the industry. And we just, we're trying to figure out what's the actual, the best uh, solution here. People who are going through this for themselves can expect to run into those exact same, uh, what would you call them? Like uh, quandaries or like, it's like a debate with yourself over whether or not you go a particular direction. Um, One other thing that I really like about this setup is that you capture more of the value that you create as a creator. And so I actually think this is a part of a bigger trend that we're going to start seeing play out in the next one to three years. Yeah. Creators, all these ads, like creators can make so much more money by just owning the product that they're hyping. And it's really surprising to me. In fact, it feels almost like the industry has tried to solve this from the other direction. So a whole bunch of product companies have decided to try to pull creators in to like in-house in order to hype a product. And that works all right. The problem is most of those creator contracts, they just aren't great for the creators or they start off okay for the creators, but then the creator gets to be so big at a certain point, every creator is going to get to the point where they say, look, I can make way more money either with some other brand or selling my own stuff. And I think we're kind of reaching this point culturally where more and more people are going to be like, I just got to own the software. I got to own the whatever physical product. I got to own the consulting company. Like, why would I sell ads for your thing when I could capture 80% of the upside? The trick there is operations. So talk to me about this. What do you think this software takes on the back end to keep running? Because my my guess, pretty pretty much plug and play because it's pretty simple, I think. But probably got to have some support person, right? At least a support person. Because yeah. you got billing and then there's going to be billing issues and stuff like that. So what what else? Like, what have you thought through there in terms of like the ops side of actually making this happen? thought about two things. One is that I have, I have a team in the Philippines who 
are basically like family to me. And I really mean that just they're getting married in June. Um, it's a, it's a boyfriend and girlfriend couple that have worked for me for probably four years now. And they're getting married and they asked, well, we're obviously got invited to the wedding, but they asked Jules and I to be the godparents of the wedding, which is <laughs> crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll make this really quick because it's a whole cultural phenomenon and this isn't what we're talking about. But the Philippines is like a much more religious culture and they take it very seriously. And so I, I kind of told him, I was like, hey, look, man, I've never been to church a day in my life. Like, I'm thrilled and honored that you would ask me, but like, I don't even know what that means. And so apparently the ceremony itself has like a representer, a, a representative from from God. And so Jules and I are basically like God's representative. <laughs> That's you. Over. <laughs> That's me. Does God have a say in this? Because I feel like he'd be like, uh... yeah, he does. He appointed me. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah, certainly. It's either and you so... or Kanye. <laughs> it's like, yeah, totally. And uh and so I get to walk down the aisle and then Jules and I basically just sign a piece of paper, which wow. is, you know, kind of like That's the special man is really special. Yeah. And so point is operations is totally handled because Raymond and Davey can manage all of that. No problem. It's totally done. And Raymond is a database um, developer, which makes it even easier. I'm a little bit nervous about that because Drew uh, he told me like the language that this thing was coded in and I have no idea what he was talking about. Um, and I know that you Raymond say it out loud. Yeah, totally. He said one time payments about two. Okay. So here's the link to the analytics. If you're interested, tech is next JS. Mm -hmm. um, so that's react. I actually know what that means. The react framework created and maintained by Versal super base, which I think this is just the database, which is, is fine and was started from the open source repo, which means repository and all that. Yeah, actually. So I, I totally know what's going on. Um, and the whole thing is uploaded on GitHub. It's, it's open source, which is cool. I would obviously close it um, and probably put some APIs in there. So other developers could like improve the code. Uh, but anyway, um, that doesn't seem overly complicated where it's like a language that Raymond couldn't figure out. He's, he's super, super talented. So that's, that's done. The other thing is I would be really interested in immediately adding LinkedIn because if you're not on LinkedIn and I know because every time I post a podcast, I try to tag you in it and you're never there. And I think to myself, like, what are you doing, Ethan? This is, this is like the next 10 years. Um, but if you think that Twitter gets a lot of annoying spam DMs, LinkedIn is even more, except they're not spam in the way that we think of as spam. They're like actual professionals. This is LinkedIn's business model. It's a social media website that isn't quite the same as the rest of them. Like a lot of their money comes from uh, people pay for the ability to basically open dm random people and so a lot of the dms are like legitimate pitches from legitimate people that are still pretty annoying however imagine if every single time i get one of those pitches which is who knows 40 times a day this automated sales dm was sent to them and so i know that i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole here but to summarize what i'm talking about is like yes service and maintenance no problem done deal he said it's 20 bucks a month on hosting already. And so that's, that's pretty minimal. However, 
I think if there is something that would require a little bit of funding up front, it would be to take the same exact concept, same thing. Don't got to change anything and just make it so that it also works on LinkedIn. It's brilliant, man. I can't believe you stumbled across this while trying totally to random. kit out your studio. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally super random. interesting, man. It's very, very interesting. I think I want to see some of the numbers and some of the, you know, some of the, the, the details and stuff, but I think in terms of what you laid out, it's hard to poke holes in it. Sounds like a really sharp plan. I hope people listening to this get some value from hearing you think through it out loud too. Cause I think there's a lot of like, a lot of people are tackling stuff similar to this and it's very siloed right now. You know, mm. people are saying like, how do I, how do I sell ads in my newsletter? How do I sell ads on my podcast? I sent you a screenshot of like even professional companies now trying to figure out how do we price our ads, stuff like that. And I think for a lot of people who might be just thinking about this through the lens of a single medium, they might be missing out on a lot of potential upside. Uh, and then tying in some sort of front end product like this is that's the next level, man. Yeah. And I really appreciate you saying that if there is, if there is one thing that I feel like I can really share with the world, it's, it's this, I get a lot of messages from people, especially on Fridays after I send my newsletter. Where it's like, oh, like, I just don't get it. This doesn't even seem possible for me. Like, how do you, how does this happen? And people need to know that this isn't some kind of like grand scheme, glamorous idea that I have. Like it's, I'm literally just always tinkering, always sending messages, always like, what's out there? What's out there? What's going on? Let me check this out. Let me check this out. You know? <laughs> and like the, the thing is, the reason people get discouraged is because the vast majority of the time, there's nothing out there and everything's a dud. And it's no way more than it's yes. And so if there is some weird, like, uh, what's the word? I idiosyncratic um, virtue. Virtue isn't the word. Um, just advantage. There we go. That like I have that's innate to my personality. It's just the ability to never really stop with the nose. And I know that I got that from being in phone pits for so many years. Like it's so valuable. Just no means nothing. Right. And so. <laughs> Just like that ability to kind of keep tinkering around with it is how this shit is done. And so now that I got you a little bit excited, which I can tell you are, and I'm really pumped about this. I'm thinking, here's how we pitch it. Um, and I got this idea of when I thought about what Cole and Dickie do, where they basically invented this idea of social blogging with Ship 30 for 30, where it's the same exact thing, except you do it on social and you present your content in a way that you can basically absorb it in a more long form format, even though it's on social. And so for some reason that popped in my head, just this idea of social, this idea of social, and especially with my new relationship with social media over the last two years. And so I think we're not necessarily selling an automated DM tool. What we're selling is this brand new idea of social selling. Because how many deals have I closed through DMs? How many podcast guests have I gotten from DMs? How many course sales have I gotten from DMs over the last three years? I don't know, but it's a bunch. It's a bunch. And so I think that like sales, I think there's a whole new style and a whole new approach to sales, which is all happening in the DMs. And so this idea of social selling 
I think that is how we can package this thing and present it. Because now it's not just like getting spammed. It's like, no, your DMs is a sales tool and this is what you need to make it happen. It's so interesting. Yeah, when I saw that uh, exchange between you and what's his name on Twitter? The uh, the guy who does set oh, design? Kevin, Kevin. Kevin. Shatton. It was one of those aha moments where it's like, Oh, of course, of course, every random DM that comes your way is an opportunity to potentially, in his case, he used it to like save himself time. So yeah. that's great. And then also link through to specific products. So I'm sure he makes sales from it. It'd be super interesting to know how much. Yeah, I love everything about this, dude. And it was, it's, there's something about it that is like uh, obvious in retrospect, but I don't know why I we're know. not thinking about it more up front. Um, and maybe this is just because like most people's impulse is to design solutions for, uh, a user base. That's like one step behind them in terms of like the problems that they're facing. So I feel like for me, I, I get DMS, but I'm still not at a point where it's overwhelming. I just, I don't answer a lot of them because like, that's, I mean, you mentioned I'm not on Twitter. I, I, I kind of purposely sort of like narrow my field of focus um, but I don't feel like I'm overwhelmed with DMS yeah. at this point. And so it wouldn't be a natural step for me to think about how I could use those for selling yet, or even solving that as a problem. Cause it's just not one that I experienced at this point. But as soon as I saw you go through that live, it just seems like the most obvious thing in the world. I'm sure there's, uh, there's millions and millions of people who are constantly getting cold DMS that are semi let's call them like uh, semi-qualified leads for yeah. what it is they're selling. Yeah. Why not add that one little um, step into the equation that can help prove somebody out more as a potential lead and save you a whole bunch of time in the process. The person I'm thinking of right now, as you go through this is Steph, because so Steph Smith on Twitter, Steph Smith IO, she gets a whole bunch of inbound because she's very well known. And a lot of people ask her for stuff that she doesn't necessarily want to do. So for her, one of her rules is no consulting. And she does that specifically because, or I think it was no consulting, specifically because she's trying to stay focused. Somebody like her could use this to, to very quickly answer, you know, hey, here's the things that people typically ask me for. And here's my stance on all of them. And I want to say, I'm not sure if she actually does this. Or if she was just advocating that people should do it. But there was something that she was talking about where she basically said, all these people who want to pick your brain, like, hey, I'd love to pick your brain about X, Y, and Z. Great. Here's my uh, Calendly link where you can pay whatever it is, $250 an hour to pick my brain. Oh, my God. This tool could do that, right? Where it's like, hey, are you one of the tons of people who gets in touch with questions about A, B, and C? Here's the link. You can, and then it could tie right in and like hubs. Uh, I mean, I work for HubSpot, so this is biased, but I've been tinkering with some of their tools recently. They literally now have count like calendar booking links where y- you can charge right from the calendar. Yep. Booking. So I think, uh, I think there's a lot of potential for something like this. And that's why I was saying I'm so, I mean, like shocked isn't the right word. Sometimes as a product owner, you just don't find the audience or you yeah. don't, or it's not a priority. Like this could be something that, this Drew guy just built on the weekend because he thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, but I think there's so much potential for a piece of software like this, just for creators in general. And 
I was thinking of, I really hope I don't mispronounce his name. He's become like a, a Twitter friend of mine, Jose Rosado. Um, and he and I have been chatting through Instagram DMs. And I was so surprised because when we were chatting, the first thing I, I was like, hey, what's your phone number? And he said, no, 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 just FaceTime me through Instagram. And I was driving to Muay Thai. And so I had my phone propped up on, you know, the little uh, clip that goes into your heater vent or whatever. And I'm driving to Muay Thai and I'm having a video chat with this guy telling me all about his business and all about how all of his leads and his deals come directly through social media in exactly what we're doing right now. And so he, he didn't pitch me on anything and he was actually pretty honest about it, which I also think is a really great approach because he he went into the conversation very much like, no, 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 let me show you how I do it. Let me show you how I do it. And I think I think if I were a little bit more like biting, he probably would have pitched me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's his in. You know, I think that's his angle. Just answer questions, provide value, provide value. Um, but anyway, I was thinking about that experience very much. And I was thinking like how many coaches and consultants, maybe course creators, probably not so many course creators, but coaches and consultants, really people or freelancers, people that still kind of interact on this really face-to-face -face, uh, model. How much of, how much of sales and business development now is all done through DMS? Like I remember years ago, Gary Vaynerchuk was saying DM 20 people a day or something. And I remember listening to that and just being like, that is the worst fucking advice I could ever, ever think about in my life. Like, why would anybody send, sit somewhere for two hours and waste two hours a day DMing strangers when they could be doing something that like really provides value or they could be having like a business lunch and actually close a deal. And I think at the time that was probably true, but man, I think, I think Zoomers, even more than millennials, they are just so accustomed to interacting right to the point. You know what I mean? Like they'll talk about money. They'll talk about sales. Like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, bam, bam, right away. I think so much of, of transactions now are done through, through DMs that maybe I'm turning into like an old millennial and I don't appreciate it that much. I'm like, no, shoot me an email. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think there's such Send an Send me a letter. Well, I was just, it's funny that you went there because I was just going to ask, does that change your uh, perception on the value of building an email list? No. Social media is made for building an email list because look, it's, it's, it's still the same thing. You know, Twitter is, a, I mean, TikTok might actually get banned. It's, it's a reasonable, I think it's, it's probabilistic that TikTok will get banned more than 50%, you know? how many people have like millions of followers on TikTok and their whole lives depend on it mm. a lot. Um, you know, and then like Instagram is still really, really popular, but it got eaten away by TikTok, even YouTube, you know, like the king of all Kings, YouTube has YouTube shorts now because they just have to play ball with this, this, uh, infograph as opposed to a social graph kind of network and so like that game is always changing but email stays the same i fucking love the fact man. that like you're all up in your head right now with your ideas spinning i love this <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you're making me think a couple of things. So one is the general, like the general value of building anything for creators these days. I was just listening to Lex Friedman's interview with uh, Chamath. Yeah, I listened to that the last two days too. What was really interesting, well, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it overall, but um, for people who haven't heard it yet, Chamath, obviously one of the co-hosts of the All In podcast, early executive at Facebook, billionaire. And he's got some really interesting opinions on where, you know, the mega trends of the world are going. And so he talked about one being that uh, the cost of energy and computing power is effectively going to go to zero, which and, and you know, like what opportunities does that open up for people? Because right now, if you have a, if you have an idea, you want to build a company or you want to change the world somehow, you know, it yeah, it costs money. And you get a certain amount of leverage for that money. You can buy a certain amount of whatever computing power on Am- on AWS and and a uh, certain amount of electricity. And like, there's a whole bunch of inputs that go into a company. But uh, you know, in terms of running up against hard roadblocks, one of them currently is the cost of doing high level computations. Yeah. And he says, over the course of the next few years, that's going to go to zero. So we're just going to get so good at producing these next level chips and everything that that will be removed as a constraint. And I thought, okay, that's interesting for people who are like super tech nerds. I, I think a lot of us w- maybe won't realize the benefits of that because we're one level abstracted from that cost in the first place. But what was really interesting was he, one of the other major places that he's putting a lot of his focus is content creators. He's, you know, he had these opinions that um, when you remove things like say the cost of electricity or yeah. computing power he's like one of the only um resources that is still scarce is attention and people who can get attention are the future in, in a lot of ways and i'm grossly para- uh, paraphrasing what he said but it was really interesting to me to hear somebody who's focused on such huge mega trends thinking about the creator space which i think a lot of people still kind of consider to be big but campy you know like like homemade so producing any tool, any company, any business that's going to help creators monetize what it is they're doing easier, I think is up like that's a really good bet over the next couple of years. Totally agree. I'm finding myself being more and more open-minded to it these days. The the uh, fork in the road for me is the thing that we just talked about, like being a creator ultimately is trying to get a piece of somebody else's pie. Whereas being an entrepreneur means having equity in something, Mm. having ownership. And so for me, it's just a really, really important line that like, I do not cross. I I own my shit. It's, it's, it's my whole entire philosophy, especially with timstyles.com, like own assets, own assets. That is the secret to freedom. It's not followers. It's not going viral. It's assets. Cause like, if you, if you go viral and you don't have anything to build from it, then all you're doing is like taking a tiny, tiny, tiny chunk of a pie that isn't even yours in the first place. And like, it feels really good, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So that distinction for me is important to lay out because with that in mind, I've been more and more open to this idea that attention and, and not even just attention focus is, should be measured as an actual resource. And what, what changed my mind about it was Naval with the how to get rich um, without getting lucky. He said, 
when robots can do everything for you and everything like, and actually this is a lot to do with our conversations about AI content as well. But when robots can do everything for you and, and even something we don't think about, like, like they're nurses, you know, they can prescribe drugs for you. They can diagnose you, you know, they can take your blood pressure, things that you wouldn't think about that eventually will happen. Like, well, what's left and all that's left is creative work. And so like, okay, if that's true, then what is the currency of creative work? And that currency is focus. Like you can call it attention, but I think tension is kind of meandering because like I can, I can pay attention to anything and not actually take action on it. So there's probably a better word. I just, I choose to call it focus, you know? But so like the currency of creativity is focus. And those, and so Shamath is totally right. Those people that have the skill of putting themselves in a position where people focus on what it is that they created, those are like the next millionaires and, and, and billionaires, I think. Yeah, that's really well put. Um, you reminded me of something and this is, we're, let's, let's take a brief detour into dangerous territory here. Did you uh -oh. hear the, um, the interview with Lex and Kanye? No, I heard the first 20 minutes of it. And I actually felt like not gross or anything. Cause I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I just, I felt like it was the wrong thing to do mm -hmm. to like pay attention to it. You know, I really did. I felt like I felt like part of the media machine that makes people bigger by talking about how evil they are when like the thing to do is actually not talk about it at all. And hmm. so I chose not to listen to it. Oh, that's by the way, I don't think interesting. Kanye is evil. I'm interested. I'm actually interested to hear a little bit more about what you mean by that, because I did listen to it. There were certain parts of it that I also felt uncomfortable with, not the like, okay, for people listening, if you're not in the loop on this, maybe some people don't pay attention to like pop culture or whatever. Kanye said a bunch of really controversial things recently. And uh, he's been doing a bunch of interviews where people have grilled him for the things that he said. A lot of it was anti-Semitic. Um, I won't pretend to actually be up to date on everything he said. I'm not. I don't know all the things he said. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting about this interview and what the reason that I highlight it for people in our audience is Lex did what I feel was an incredible job interviewing a very a person who's very controversial in this moment. So typically I've the way this that, kind of, by the way, I read that it was like very measured, but stern pushback. It was really interesting. Well, yeah. I came away from the, I'll, I'll say two things about it. Well, actually, maybe I'll say three things. The first thing people need to know is that the interview, well, Lex is Jewish and he was raised in the Soviet Union. So he has very close ties to the uh, experience of the Holocaust, right? The things that Kanye said, obviously anti-Semitic. And now he's got a whole bunch of other statements that came out recently about, you know, how the black community is going through its own Holocaust. So this was set up to be a very difficult conversation from the beginning. I felt that Lex handled it incredibly well. The reason I bring it up now is because you mentioned something about how attention is the only um, cur like currency that matters anymore. And interestingly enough, Kanye has very interesting things to say about that inside that talk. And the sort of big reveal for this thing, I came away feeling like every single person who's a storyteller, who's a creator, who wants to have an impact 
with their words needs to go listen to this interview because it was done so well. Kanye actually closes the interview with a full apology to the Jewish community. For some reason, nobody's talking about it. I don't know why nobody's talking about it, but this guy has had interviews on like every major media outlet out there right now. They're all super controversial. He never, as usual, on like a news interview, you never have time to really unpack the situation and explain yeah. Like, like hit one of his biggest things is like, nobody's letting me explain myself. Right. So he goes into this conversation with Lex. They talk for three hours Two people whose viewpoints probably couldn't be more different in the world. Right. Race, uh, religion, background, focus. Right. Kanye is the richest black man in like three different industries. Lex could get couldn't care less about money. Yeah. So you have people who are very, very different. And because of Lex's masterful handling of that conversation, you get to a point in the end where one of the most popular voices in the world gives a public apology for the way that he acted. And it really felt genuine. And I thought, I just thought I wanted to, I wanted to call it out and say, like people in the media space need to hear this interview. They need to listen to the entire thing. There are parts of it that are difficult to listen to. And for me, the, the hard part was the Kanye seems like he's really struggling with something like mental health wise. It almost doesn't seem fair to put somebody like that on the world stage because some of the things he says, they just don't sound sane, right? Now, maybe that's the voice of a of a of a of an icon, right? He's spent the last 20 years saying crazy shit, crazy ideas. So when he talks about building bubble pods that people are going to live in, you know, in the future, it, it sounds insane, but like, that's kind of how he's made his reputation over the years. So there was a part of that that I was a little uncomfortable with, but uh, by and large, I thought it was a fantastic interview. I thought Lex is an incredible example of somebody that people in media should aspire to be more like. And I forgot the last one, but. Uh, attention. Well, just related to that, uh, it'll come back to me in a second, but just go uh, I, to people who are, aspiring to be like you, me, the things that we do, I, I will probably continue to re-listen to that podcast. Um, I took a lot from it. And I think other people in this space will really benefit from just seeing how do you handle somebody who's super controversial? Because we've gotten to a point, I think we're at like, we're kind of at max controversy now. So how do you actually have a voice that's like impactful and productive? Oh, I, I remember the last thing too. We've touched on this theme a couple of times over the last few months, which is how does a storyteller progress in their career? Before Kanye's interview ever came out with Lex, I was digging into Lex's archive and just kind of going back way, way back. So his YouTube videos go back about four years to like um, stuff people probably don't even know him for now. So like he used to have a podcast that he called, I think it was Take It Uneasy which is like a, a, a pretty bad riff on take it easy. Uh, and it was a martial arts podcast. Cool. Um, there was no indication four years ago that this person would be a massively influential voice yeah. talking to the most important people in the world in, in a couple of years. And so I was just so impressed. Uh, I would say no, no indication except for one thing. And that's like, if you go way back, maybe two to four years, something like that, somewhere in there, Lex did one of these uh, day in the life videos and his day is pretty like 
rigorously structured around work and personal improvement. But he said something in there where he was, he, was, he said he was on a run and he was listening to a book about World War II, like the, the Holocaust. And he said he was thinking about what it takes to be the kind of person who can stand up to evil mm. when it happens, right? And he's kind of talking about the nuance of that. In that moment, what I saw was early in his career, sure, there was no indication that he was bound to be this massively influential person, but he was preparing for it as though it was inevitable, right? He was preparing himself mentally, physically to be able to be somebody who can really be impactful in difficult situations. And I admire that so much. How do you tell? So um, you met, you reminded me of it when you were talking about the importance of attention. I totally agree. And I think if we're going to, if we're going to acknowledge the fact that this field is important and that attention is something that you're going to have to learn how to get in order to participate in this like new economy, then I think it's also important to point out, you know, how can you do that responsibly? How can you do that effectively? How can you do that with greatness? And I really felt like the conversation that, that regardless of the actual content of the conversation, which I think was sort of all over the spectrum in terms of good, bad, great in some cases, I really feel like Lex led that with greatness. And I think people should go check it out for his example in that. That's interesting. I'm, I'm probably still not going to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about your perspective on this, because you said you felt like part of the evil media machine or something like that. What was your, what was your take? I wouldn't call it the evil media machine. I, I would call it freedom of speech. Also means freedom to not listen. And if more people actually understood what the law meant and how it was written out, they would understand that the right for people to say crazy things includes the right for you not to pay attention to it. And so I think in a lot of ways, the most, uh, the the thing that will solve those problems the fastest it's a double-edged sword because so but here's here's really what it matters i fully fully support lex friedman's willingness to have him on his show and to have the conversation in the way that he wants and i fully support everybody else's um, ability to listen to it and make their own distinctions from it and i fully support my viewpoint, which is somebody like that doesn't need a platform in that moment, somebody like that needs help. And that's, I think that's a little personal to me, just because I have a lot of experience with like, like fucking mental psychosis, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and the last thing that people in that position need is a microphone. Mm. Um, But like, I, I fully support all of their freedom to have those conversations in whatever capacity they want. I just feel like in the opposite regard, a lot of people would be a lot less emotional about things that people say if they took their own power, which is to not pay attention to it. And so like my power as a free citizen of of our country in our constitution is to not pay attention to it. And that's sort of like my way of contributing to what I feel is a, a, a better, more inclusive society. So that's how I think about it. Well put. 
Yeah, I, 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 I think there's a few things tied up in that that uh, that are worth talking about in detail. Maybe at another at another point. But totally. Um, there you go, people. You got both sides of the equation there. You can go listen to it, or you can ignore it. Uh, and you can argument ignore it, for yeah. each side. Um, and you have the right to do both of them. Right. And I actually, I think uh, what you're touching on there is something that we probably have in common. The things, the part of it that you're uncomfortable with was also a part that, that felt off to me. Just like totally. having a person, I don't, I'm not a psychologist. So I, I always like shy away from using any kind of uh, specific term to categorize how somebody's acting. Yeah. But when I look at Kanye from the outside as somebody who has never interacted with him before, it seems like somebody who's hurting, somebody who might yes have be like have like an actual clinical issue even though i uh, again very like the whole conversation over he's in pain he's in a lot of pain yeah Yeah. and that's like Um, rule number one like don't hurt people and don't lie and i feel there's there's an exercise that people go through where you make amends to people but the only rule when making amends is you can't make yourself feel better at the expense of somebody else feeling bad. So, you know, like if you did something to somebody that they don't know about and like telling them what actually hurt them, then you don't do it. Like you don't have the right to cleanse yourself of what you did to hurt somebody else. And I feel like that is kind of what happens in those moments where people just, they like salivate over this controversy and attention. And Lex is different because he, his personality isn't like that. Like he's really just trying to have a conversation and see all sides of the viewpoint and like present it in the most honest way possible. Mm. But for the most part, I really felt like everybody was hurting him to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. And mm, that's so really that's why I chose not to listen to it. That's super, super, super interesting. And I, uh, yeah, I, I think there's validity to that too. And this is this is the complex part of what we do. I think uh, totally. the whole creator economy gets a lot of positive press, right? But at the end of the day, you also got to remember that like there are real consequences to choosing to cover things and the way that you cover things and the stories that you tell. And I think I think Lex in general is a good example of that. Um, and this this one in particular had an impact on me, uh, but. Yeah, man, I I agree with you in terms of the like the potential for destruction that 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 also entails. Certainly. So, oh, to end this on a high note, uh, there's one shout out that I want to do real quick. That's to a listener that we got. Well, actually, oh, was there anything else too. that you you got one too? You do yeah. yours first. Damn it, we it, want no no. You do yours first. Side, I look it up. We 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 wanted to start with these. We got to remember to start with these every episode. <laughs> so dumb that we always forget. I'm gonna shout out uh, Jenny Austria. Jenny, so this is a kind of a funny story. People ask sometimes, actually, this is, that's a lie. Nobody ever asks. Nobody ever asks me why I do a podcast. Mm -hmm. But um, if you're ever wondering, one of the benefits of doing this is, is the, like the people that you meet, like take money out of the equation, right? We've been talking about monetizing the podcast. Forget about that. Forget about money. Forget about being well-known. One of the cooler reasons to do this is like you can bring anybody you, you want on to interview them. So it gives you access to people. Um, sometimes you meet cool people online who've seen your stuff. And then sometimes old friends get back in touch because they've seen what you've done too. Yeah. And so this Jenny Austria uh, girl is, uh, we. so we actually met at a writing class in Paris uh, like three years ago. She subscribes to your newsletter. 
And she just texted me this morning and she goes, Hey, just wanted to say, like, I keep seeing your name pop up in uh, Tim's newsletter. Did you so, hold on? Hold on. Did you just say a writing class in Paris? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. It's fine. We'll just breeze past that. Go ahead. Continue your story. <laughs> Continue your story. Uh, shout out to Jenny Austria. Just great memories from that class. She's, she's a copywriter. She's super funny. You can find her on Twitter at Jenny M Austria. She just went through the whole ship 30 for 30 thing too. So she's part of that whole gang, but it was just really fun to have somebody get back in touch from the before times, like before the pandemic it's, it's a result of this. So I don't know if she listens to the podcast, but she definitely sees your emails and shout out to that member of the community. Who do you have? The reason I, I was actually hesitant to go first because I was, because like 50% of the time, we both pull the same person. And I was really curious <laughs> to be like, so who do you have? Is it also Jenny? No, um, <laughs> Maria Haruchinian. That's awful. I know. I, I think. Okay. Anyway, I'll, I'll post this in the thing. I'm so sorry, Maria, for mispronouncing your last name, but that's a tough one. So the review, Tim and Ethan, you guys rock. I can't believe how much useful information these guys are dropping on us every time. They must have some secret synergy that enables them to both be informative and helpful without making it feel like work. Thank you, Maria. I promise we do not have a secret synergy. We have no idea what we're doing. Really appreciate it. <laughs> As is evidenced by our inability to. That was really nice. Thank you, Maria. And Thanks, Maria. Tim, why am I only hearing about this now? You could have blown up my phone with this review. When did that come in? Dude, I'm, I'm trying to play it cool these days. I'm trying to not hit you up with the analytics and the stats and all that. I'm you telling better stories. That's, that's my focus. favorite part. Uh, well, Maria, thank you very much. Those are very kind words. And um, yeah, let us know what you think of this stuff too. I think the uh, slight, I wouldn't call it a detour, but talking about like software and the business structure, the behind the scenes of the podcast, Everybody listening, let us know if you're interested in that kind of stuff, if you want to hear more, uh, or if you want us to go back to, you know, Goldman's writing tips or something like that. Yeah. We're happy to, happy to do whatever it is you want in order for you to like us. <laughs> in the attention want. economy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that, we appreciate you so much. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week.